Grace and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who brings us great comfort. In the name of Jesus, amen. Here again, a portion of our epistle lesson. Uh, St. Paul writes in Ephesians 3, he says, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So far our text. And so today, we as a congregation observe epiphany, the epiphany of our Lord, and epiphany means to appear or to manifest. And so today we commemorate our Lord Jesus' appearance on this earth to very particular people. As Jesus is born, he makes himself known through the declarations of his angels, through the speaking of the prophets. Christ does not make his appearance known to chosen ones or rulers or to high priests, but he lets himself be made known to those people who would often be relegated to the outside. He reveals himself to the lowly shepherds, as we remembered on Christmas Eve, or to humble Simeon and Anna in their old age. And today, we see, most surprisingly, that Jesus makes himself known to the magi, the wise men, these men from a foreign land, who are not descendants of Abraham, who are not part of God's chosen people, this revelation is so remarkable that the wise men would be the last people on earth that you would expect to come and worship the newborn Savior. They were foreigners. That means they were Gentiles, not of the people of Israel, not of the Jews, the men who were not part of God's chosen people, yet Christ is revealed to them. Today is kind of like Gentile Christmas. The birth of Jesus is such an important event that God makes it known to the eastern people who are far off, who are often counted as enemies of the people of God, that they might know who their Savior is. The distinction in the days of the first century between Jews and Gentiles was huge. The Jews were the people of the Old Testament. They had the law. They were chosen by God. They were descendants of Abraham. They were circumcised and were to keep themselves pure from all those Gentile nations and their idolatry. And that is because they were very peculiar to God. God has chosen them as the means of the people set aside for a very specific purpose. Their great purpose was to be the people in the world by whom the Christ would come into the world from. A savior of sin would come from the Jews. And so the Jews were commanded from the very beginning to stand as a very distinct people, which was actually kind of odd in those days. Not that there weren't distinct people and distinct cultures and distinct languages, but eventually these distinctions would meld as people moved, as conquering empires would move into a new area, and they would always continually blend into something new. Religiously, the Jews were really weird to the people around them, right? 
As we think about the, the pagans, uh, every culture had their god that they worshipped, or gods that they worshipped, and the fact that another culture worshipped another set of gods was, was not offensive to them. And it was very common for people to adopt and add the idols of all the other nations and all the other peoples into their belief system after conquering them or being conquered by them, and cultures would assimilate. Religions would meld. They'd be very syncretistic. So Syrians, they would eventually become like the Greeks, and the Greeks would eventually become like the Romans. The Romans would adopt the Greek gods and goddesses. It was an expedient thing to do. The Jews would never even consider such a thing. They rightly believed all the other gods were false. They would not pollute their faith in the Lord their God, the God of the Bible, the God who called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with the worship of demons and idols and falsehood. And so the Jews, according to God's command, held themselves up as a very distinct, unique, and special people. They would not assimilate when other cultures came knocking at their door. They would remain distinctly Jewish so that they would stand out from the world and hold fast to their faith in the one true God. And that meant that they would never interact with nor mingle with the Gentiles in their way of life. Everything about them was to be distinct from the way they cut their hair to the food that they ate to the clothes that they wore and to the languages that they worshipped in. This was all to keep themselves pure for the sake of the gospel. They would not fall into the ways of the Gentiles that would run the risk of being cut off from the covenant of God. But now, all of a sudden, the Gentiles are included. It's revealed to these wise men that the Savior had been born. And not only that, God calls Paul to be an apostle the Gentiles. He's to preach the gospel to those foreign nations, those people who were once cut off from the people of God. Now they're called to be included. This morning, St. Paul, he, he uses a special word to describe all of this. He says it's a mystery that the chosen people, the people of the Old Testament, are no longer the peculiar, distinct people of God, but the gospel is meant to go to the nations. Those people who the Jews were commanded to flee from are now the ones God has chosen to make himself known through. And they are to be adopted into God's holy family through the gospel of forgiveness. So we have to consider how much of maybe a shock and a difficulty this was to the to the early Jewish Christians. Think of it, you, you have a Jew who keeps the customs and laws of the Old Testament and they don't eat the unclean food. Their clothes are woven of one fabric according to the law of Moses. They don't cut their beards. They have their hairs put together in a certain way. They uh, practice marriage and they eat the right foods. And then you have the barbarians. You know, these, these guys, these Scythians or these Greeks who do the opposite. You have the ones who will eat just about anything that you put in front of them, and they'd be sure to drink the blood of whatever animal that they have with their unwashed hands, and typically they would go on and touch everything else after they ate it. The mere existence of one is offensive 
to the other. The Jew is offended by the barbarian. The barbarian is offended by the Jew. And what happens is that there is a wall of hostility that might be built up within the body of Christ. But what St. Paul's talking about here is that that wall of hostility, that distinction between Jew and Gentile, is torn down. They are made into one people. So some of the Jews end up being excluded by their lack of faith. Many of the Gentiles are added in. St. Paul calls this the mystery of the gospel. Many of the Jews who should have received this gospel of Jesus coming into the world to save them, receive it with perfect joy, while many reject it. While many of the Gentiles, who shouldn't have the slightest idea of who Abraham is, who Moses is, what God's covenant in the Old Testament is, have no idea of what the gospel really should mean, by the work and the power of the Holy Spirit, receive it and rejoice upon hearing it and cling to it in perfect Christian faith. The two peoples are made into one people because Christ has come into the world. This is what we see in our gospel lesson as the wise men follow the star. They heed the sign that the king of the Jews had been born. They come to Jerusalem, the city of the Jews, to worship him. And they had seen and heard the scriptures that they'd been passed throughout the nations. In Numbers it says uh, that I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. See, they see this new star rise in the east, and they say, the king of the Jews is coming. The Messiah of the Jews is here. We must go worship him. They go to Jerusalem and start asking about this newborn king of the Jews, this one who's to be the savior of the world. Now, what's equally shocking about this is the reaction amongst the Jews upon hearing about the star and the newborn king. The wise men come to worship, but the Jews of Jerusalem, they're caught in an uproar. And rather, receiving this news of the Messiah's birth from the wise men with great joy, they're upset. Or they couldn't care less. They're just more concerned how this might disrupt things. They, they had a very tenuous peace with the Romans, and they had their puppet king, Herod, he was an awful tyrant, he was immoral, he was growing crazy and murderous in his old age, but he kept the Romans off their backs. Now there's this newborn king. That's going to create a mess for us. And so what did Herod want to do? He wanted that Christ child killed. And the Jews were completely happy to go along with it in Jerusalem. They know that they have come to worship the Christ they searched the scriptures to see where Christ was to be born. They determined it's in Bethlehem, just as it says in the Bible, you Bethlehem and the land of Judah are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so Herod, he ascertains it's Bethlehem. We got to find this Christ child. And so he sends the wise men on their way with pious sounding lies. Find him, search him out and send me so that I might worship him too. And the wise men come and worship. 
They go quickly to Bethlehem. The star leads them to the house where Jesus is staying. They worship him. Their worship is a confession of their faith in him as they kneel before him and give their gifts. They give him gold, a gift for a king. They give him frankincense as a gift for a priest, myrrh, the burial spice. And what do these confess? This child would grow up to be their king and their priest, that he would die to forgive their sins, that he would be the one who rules over heaven and earth. He would be the one who intercedes and forgives them of their sins, and he would be the one who would be the perfect sacrificial offering that would relieve them of the burden of their sin before God. This whole thing was unimportant to the Jews in Jerusalem who held power. The forgiveness of sins took a back seat to the political, cultural, and natural concerns that the Jews had for themselves. They were so concerned with being the chosen people of God that they forgot what they were chosen for. They were chosen as the people who the Savior of the world would come from. And now when that Savior comes, they're disturbed by it. They didn't see a need for a Savior from sin. Because in their own hearts and in their own minds, they did not see themselves as sinners who needed saving. And so they had no regard for the Savior when he was born. They were just more willing to capitulate to Herod's attempt to kill him. From this we see what really makes a person part of God's chosen people. It's not a national heritage. It's not genetic or ethnic it's faith in the Son of God. And that's the mystery that Paul is talking about. Christians worship Jesus. They worship Jesus because he is their Savior, and they do not worry about anything else. We are gathered here today to worship because we are Christians. We desire the gifts of our incarnate Savior and King. Jesus is here, and so we are too. It is faith worked by the Spirit of God that calls us to worship today. It's faith that looks to Jesus and believes in his holy word. And this word says, whenever two or more are gathered in my name, I am with you. It says, this is my body, and this cup is the New Testament of my blood. Jesus is here. And so like the wise men, we gather from many different places, with many different origins, to worship our Savior. And I think this is so important for us to understand. What makes you members of this body of Christ is faith in Christ. Faith that Christ justifies sinners. This is what Herod and the Jews were completely missing. They did not view themselves as sinners who needed saving. They believed that they were justified not by faith in the Son of God, but by being part of the ethnic Jewish people and keeping the Jewish laws. They did not see things the way that God sees them. God's desire is not to have a culturally and ethnically distinct people. God's desire is to forgive sinners so that they can partake of the blessings of his kingdom. That is what Paul says in Romans, for we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. 
So what forgives sinners and makes them part of the kingdom of God? It's faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. A Christian is a sinner who believes that Jesus is the God who dies to forgive them. I think it's easy to forget this as we often lump our Christian faith in a bunch of other things. Lump it into our politics or our language, our nationality, all these kind of earthly elements. We lump America in with righteousness. So if America does it, it's righteous. We say one political party is on the side of the angels while another is on the side of evil. Everything they do is bad. If a person is different from me concerning one of these things, then they must not really be Christians or they wouldn't fit in at this church. Those who trust in Christ, those who stand with us in faith and defend the truth of God's word, they are our brothers and our sisters. And the dividing wall that exists between us, the ones that we often make of our own devising, those are torn down by the gospel of Christ. And so a member of the body of Christ can be wealthy and a member can be poor. One can be highly educated and one could be a grade school dropout. There can be those who come from a different culture and they can come from different schools of thought. They can be young, they can be old. The baby booner and the Gen Zer can be united as one. They could have lived a life before faith in Christ as hardened and vile sinners, and they could be those who were baptized as infants. The body of Christ includes people who have come from every race, every culture. These people are all united in one thing, as one faith, one people, and one common culture. How? They're made into Christians. They have their sins forgiven them. They deny all the false hopes and the expectations of the world, and they cling to the Savior who dies for them. They worship Jesus. We become one in Christ because we believe in Jesus. And the world that we live in hates this. The opponents of the gospel want to make every difference that exists between people completely irreconcilable. They want to make every difference into a reason why we shouldn't associate with one another. And so they want antagonism between people to be so pronounced that it becomes central to all of our earthly identities. Right? So they want everyone at each other's throats, men and women, black and white, rich and poor, native and immigrant, Republican and Democrat, young and old. They want hostility. They want grievance to be what drives us in this life so that reconciliation can never be found. The powers of this world would want these things so that they can exploit us and drive us into deeper sin. They want us so focused on those people who can't, we can't stand in this world so that we can justify ourselves. At least I'm not one of those people. If I'm not one of those people, then I'm not a sinner who needs a savior. And in this type of thinking, the devil holds us in his wicked grasp. The gospel destroys all of this. The gospel opens the kingdom of God to every sinner who would believe. And that means that it's open to Jews. It's open to Gentiles. It's open to all who would recognize their sin and see their need for the Savior's gifts of grace. Like the wise men, we're called through faith 
and the word of God. All who would receive this word in simple faith are made part of the kingdom of God. They believe in the word of their king and they worship him. Worshiping according to God's word is confessing the truth. And that means that the way that you worship Christ, where you worship Christ, how you worship Christ, that matters in accordance with the truth. We worship where the truth is proclaimed. We don't worship where the truth is perverted with false teaching. We don't worship according to our emotional or sentimental feelings. We don't worship according to our reason or what we think is expedient or easy. If we did any of those things, we would fall into the errors of the pagans in the ancient world where we would just blend our religion with every other one. Now, we worship according to God's word. And that means we worship from our need for a savior. We need Christ to rule over us as our king because we cannot rule over ourselves in the way that he does. We are sinners. We need him. He is the only king who can remove our sin from us We need his word to guide us. We need Christ as the one who dies for us and rises again because only in the death of Christ can our sins be taken away. In him whose body was nailed to the cross, in him whose body was placed in the tomb, in him who rose again on the third day, that's where our sins are forgiven. And when God forgives you, he frees you to worship him with the wise men. He opens his kingdom to all creation. And this is why the word is preached, so that all the world may know of the Savior and worship him. All of this flows from God's word, working faith in and through that word. This is what makes us one. It's the word of the gospel. Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What does that mean? It means that we are made righteous through the gospel of forgiveness. And that means that righteousness isn't built within me. It's something given to me and worked for me. That means Jew and Greek are no longer distinctions in receiving the gospel. No, it's faith. Faith alone. Does one believe the word? If so, then they are children of God, and they are heirs of Christ. As the Bible says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This mystery is profound and important. It's because we would all be excluded. The one true thing that all human beings have in common is sin. The Jews and the Gentiles, both sinners. It really doesn't matter. Male and female, white, black, rich, poor, educated or uneducated, Republican or Democrat, all are sinners who need a Savior. There is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And what does this mean other than that we are sinners who need saving? And this is what Jesus is born to do. His appearance in the world is made for our salvation. And that's what the wise men believed. When they crossed the desert, 
when they poured in from the foreign nations, when they entered into Jerusalem and said, where is this newborn king? When they kneeled before that humble child in Bethlehem, they believed that they were worshiping their savior. The worship of the wise men was faithful, not because they gave extravagant gifts, but because of what these gifts confess. It was faithful because it was rooted and led by God's word. And it's rooted in Christ alone. It cast off all pretense and all sinful inclinations so that it would behold him coming into the world to save them from their sins. The star rises as a herald that your king has come. The word proclaims him to be the Christ. Christ has come to save you. That true light of the gospel, it's shown upon you. The light of God's word made flesh to forgive sins, that has come to you today. And so today, when we come before the altar of God, this morning as we confess that we are sinners with faith that God forgives us for Jesus' sake, we have fellowship with those wise men. We are one body with the wise men. We're bound to them as they are our brothers in faith. And even though we're separated by thousands of years, by language, culture, ethnicity, and many other factors, they are our dear Christian brothers. And we are part of the same body. Every person in this room who hears the gospel and believes in it is part of that fellowship too. And so, we join with them as we are united in the mystery of the gospel that caused sinners into fellowship with God in Christ, we kneel before him. Just as the wise men knelt before the Christ child, we kneel before our Lord and Savior in humility and confession of the one who saves us. We trust him as our forebearers have trusted him, as many people from many nations all around the world in many different times and in many different places have beheld their Savior and worshipped him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for including the wise men in the worship of your Son. We thank you for the star that called them to Jesus. Because in this star of Bethlehem, we know that you have called all the nations to worship you. Cause us to rejoice in knowing that we have been called to worship Jesus by receiving the forgiveness of our sins by faith alone. And fill our hearts with joy as we kneel before our Lord, our Redeemer, and our Maker. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in the true faith to life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen. We rise.